when your goal is to fill a subscription package, you have very different creative needs than when your goal was to actually sell tickets against other people. The, the biggest thing I find is that individual projects get less scrutiny. It's more about volume. This is Creative Disruption, the intersection where entertainment, data, and creativity meet. Here's your hosts, Ricky Ray Butler and Daryl Leaves. Welcome back to the Creative Disruption Podcast. We are here talking with people that are disrupting disrupting the industry and also the technologies that are making waves. And I'm joined by my co-host, Ricky Ray Butler. How you doing, Ricky? Hey, I'm doing fantastic. I, I almost didn't make it because I was on a clubhouse session. It, oh, clubhouse. I definitely want to talk about that <laughs> for sure. <laughs> hey, no, not really. But um, I feel like that's taking a lot of my time and um, attention these days and and I've also learned that you can't just, you know, fall asleep to listening to it or people call you out and ask you to say something. Which has happened twice now. So, like, I have to. Like, why, why, why would anybody want to talk to you, Ricky? I have no idea. I think I have just a funny sounding name. <laughs> oh, I think so. But uh, do you want to introduce our guests? I, I would want to ask Ricky questions about what it was like <laughs> when he played for ZZ Top. <laughs> hey, um, you're not the one asking questions, Chris. So, um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I have a ways to go to be like ZZ Top. We'll get there. Maybe. We'll see. <laughs> we'll see if my family can handle it. But, um, and, yeah, but I'm really excited to have Chris on again, Chris Moore. Chris was our first guest when we first started Creative Disruption. You know, he's been uh, a renowned producer for, for like three decades now. He did Goodwill Hunting, American Pie, Manchester by the Sea, and he was also the creator of Project Greenlight. And um, Chris, we're excited to have you here again. And, you know, we usually have good heated debates. I, I hope that's happening again today. <laughs> it depends. If, if you agree with everything I say, there won't be any good debates. <laughs> that's the truth. So Chris, how, how's life Ricky doesn't, even, Ricky doesn't even agree with himself sometimes. So I mean, that's okay. <laughs> Fair enough. You know, I no, that's a really good point. That's a really good point. Um, <laughs> there, I, I changed my opinion, but you know what? It's because I'm very data driven, and not you know emotionally stubborn like some people I know. Oh. Yeah, Daryl. <laughs> Did you catch it? Did you catch now, it? Is, this, is this really what this is about? Is you invite guests to mediate between the two of you as you work out your issues? There is some truth to that, Chris. There really is. <laughs> If it's not over this podcast, it's over lunch or dinner, but uh, yeah, that's just the way it works. <laughs> uh, but, but Chris, what's new? What's happened the last couple of years? Well, you know, there, the, the industry has changed so dramatically for the business that I used to be in, sort of telling <laughs> stories, you know, the, the move away on a creative level from movie-type lengths to episodic-type programming, the... Uh, the sort of, I personally think what people aren't talking about, some of it is that the, when your goal is to fill a subscription package, you have very different creative needs than when your goal was to actually sell tickets against other people. The, the biggest thing I find is that individual projects get less scrutiny. It's more about volume. So on one hand, for producers like me, it's a benefit because you're like, well, I can get anything made. On the other hand, it, I think, honestly, we're making too much stuff. Um, it's just too much out there. It's too hard. 
and I think these battles that are going on right now between the major media companies about how many subscription services can survive, who's going to do what, is it about you know content exclusivity, is it about other services? You know, so I've been sort of spending a lot of my time with younger producers, other producers trying to figure out to do it because the deal structures have changed. The, uh, you know, the sort of way of doing business has changed and marketing, you know, has become the key. So talent is just continuing its meteoric rise to dominate every you know, sort of aspect of the business, even in our conversations, Ricky, it's always like, find somebody who's got 10 million YouTube subscribers. You're like, Jesus, back in the day, you know, you mentioned Good Will Hunting or American Pie, not a freaking famous person in it, <laughs> right? Like we were creating stars. We could have people no one ever heard of and you could still make a movie and people would go see it. You know? Well, Chris, I, I got some questions because I mean, a, a lot, I don't think that the world understands the impact of what's actually happening in film and television in the last two years, especially with COVID. And I mean, just having AMC, um, you know, be able to not necessarily show films as, as, as frequently as possible and other, other venues like that, that creates a, a pretty big ripple effect. Um, and I know that when I watched uh, Wonder Woman 1984, it, it was on, uh, you know, HBO Max and it wasn't in the theater. And I still felt chipped from that that movie. Don't get me wrong on that one. But it's just like I felt like, eh, all right, whatever. And I think that you 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 brought up a valid point. But what is happening in the industry? Um, and you, you mentioned and alluded to it a little bit with, hey, you know, we have to look at a different direction. But just that just because uh, people are not thinking uh, the, you know, theatrical release first now, um, what is that doing to the industry right now? Well, it, it's creating a massive economic change. And I don't know the audience exactly of your guys' podcast, but the the entire entertainment industry was built, I would even include music, games, other things, on there's an opening window. Every piece of new content, their economics was built on how it worked as an opening window, right? So in movies, it was theatrical release. Television, it was premiere, you know, and then it was premiere plus three, and now it's premiere plus seven. And the problem is all of that was based on individual content success, meaning that a hit, what is a hit, right? This is a hit-driven business, was easy to quantify. We'd build a system around hits, right? The problem is that now you can't really do that. There's very few things that draw people's attention in a specific window of time like it used to. So my gut is beyond your story of, hey, you didn't like it, 1984 on HBO Max. You probably didn't watch it that first Friday either. No, because you I knew it was on. You knew it was on HBO Max yep. and you were like, I, I don't need to watch it this weekend. And I'm not, you know, and, and it may be because of COVID. It may be because of what's changing in the world. I personally am a little bit of a pessimist that the theatrical window and the what I'm calling in public the premiere window is going to keep shrinking. It's going to keep going down. And so how it affects it is budgets change, the the sort of level of talent. There was a movie recently, and I'm not disparaging any of this talent, but uh, that was touted by Netflix as one of their number one movies over the holidays. I think it was called Holiday or something like that. It was a little romantic comedy with Emma Roberts. You know, th that movie is great for Netflix, 
But if I went out and tried to put together a theatrical release around Emma Roberts in a, you know, in a romantic comedy that cost $18 million, people would be like, you've lost your mind, right? Who's, who's going to the theater for that? And that's what's really changed is the drive. Yet the Netflixes and the Amazons and now, you know, the, the other streamers will say they want stars. But in my opinion, they only want stars if they can get them cheap. They only want stars if, you know, it, it, it's going to help them with their boss. It doesn't seem to really matter. And again, Ricky may know, you may know whether the algorithms are reporting it gets attention on the streamers, but ultimately people don't seem to be watching stuff. I mean, there's not a person you've ever heard of in Bridgerton, right? And I, yeah. 80 million people saw that according to Netflix. Yeah. yeah. And I, I think, yeah. And I think too, this is a, a really big deal because I, you know, doing it from a theatrical release, there's actually contracts of residuals and everything that happens there. This is being disrupted on that platform. I, I don't even know. I know that there's, um, renegotiation and trying to get some settlement stuff going on because of just what's happening in the landscape. But I think too, uh, the best point that you've made is it's, um, the quality level has gone down. Uh, I mean, I look at Adam Sandler, uh, on Netflix and I, I, I'm an Adam Sandler fan. I think he does an amazing work. You know, um, I think he's had some amazing hits, but like he wanted to make the worst movie ever made in the history of all mankind. What was it like? Who be Halloween or something like that? It, it was like really bad, but everybody watched it. And it was just like the one of the worst shows that ever existed. But it's like, what do you do? There's a new movie on Netflix or you can go back to the but stuff. Then he re, you know, he's redeemed himself with cut gems, you know, <laughs> you know, and, and being a part of that project. But yeah, I mean, some of those Adam Sandler shows are it's kind of like, um, um, you guys remember Ernest? Yeah. yeah Kevin and Ernest yeah, brothers exactly. like, are pumping out, you know, a bunch of cheap content because they know some people are going to watch it. And, yep. and, and what's and, up, Ern? <laughs> <laughs> um, see, for but, me, my habits have changed drastically, you know, in the yeah. last year. So I love film and I'm always having to make the decision. Am I going to continue to watch one of these series that I'm binge watching or do I watch a movie? And sometimes that goes through my and the, the, the my thought process is okay. Well, I can always watch this movie. I'll get to it. And the truth is, I haven't watched as many films this last year. And a lot of it's also because I haven't traveled. Like a lot of times now, when I watch a film, I like to do it alone. I like to do it without my kids. And I usually do it on an airplane. I have not been flying. And, and Which so, is a, a disaster for guys like me. There, 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 there's nobody who's at home going, boy, I, I really got to make a movie for Ricky on a plane. <laughs> We're just like, no, we, I, I'm not necessarily a target, but I love, I, I'm hoping you have an 85 inch TV and surround sound in one of your rooms somewhere. Well, yeah. What it comes down <laughs> to is, am I going to binge something that I've been watching that I've invested in, or do I watch something that's new where, you know, it's going to, you know, I'm not going to be as loyal to that cast, but I'm going to really enjoy the art. And, and so that's where it's, you know, it's been, it's been kind of weird for me. And so I've kind of literally made it a goal that, you know, monthly I have a, a list of films I want to, you know, take time to watch. Well, I, I would say that it's, it's one step further and I, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I had a, a college do a tiny 
bit of psychological research on this exact issue of binging versus movies. And the there is an actual psychological or, or you know, whatever con- concept called attachment. And and attachment is sort of when you as a as a person, you you like, like you said, a group of characters, a place like I've been I've been watching these these sort of Finnish, Danish, you know, Swedish shows on on Netflix. And, you know, I, 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 I want to go there, even though I probably hate it because it's five degrees and, you know, whatever. But the point is, you, you fall in love with these characters. And what somebody said to me, which I thought was really smart, was an episodic thing is like a loyalty program. It's like when you have your miles at American and you say, you know, well, I got to get a flight. Oh, but I get a better seat or I can get whatever because I have miles at American. Right. In television or or in entertainment, it's loyalty. Well, I, I know those things. And that's why, like Mission Impossible, you could argue is an episodic show. They're just 200 million dollar episodes. Right. And it's still Tom Cruise. But I'm going to watch that next one because I like Tom Cruise's Ethan Hunt. I like that kind of genre. And it's less of a risk. Right. And so you're on your list. You're probably going to say Mission Impossible. Right. I would argue in today's world, Mission Impossible is serialized 90 minute shows. Right. It's not really what you would call a movie, whereas Good Will Hunting. Right. Is a movie. We're never going to make a sequel to it. You know, I doubt anyone's going to remake it in Goodwill Hunting 2025. <laughs> like, and, and so that was people, American Pie became serialized. You know, there's been eight of them now because the new one just came out straight to streaming. But the point is that that attachment concept to a brand, to a, you know, a, a group of characters is very powerful in this world. And when you have a streaming service, you you can play into that a lot more than you can when you're releasing things theatrically. But it's why, you know what, five, six years ago, everybody's complaining, well, all the studios do is make sequels. Well, why do they fucking make sequels? Excuse me. Why do they make sequels? Because people already know the characters. Vin Diesel can't buy box office in another movie. But if he plays, you know, the guy in, in Fast and the Furious, people love him. And, and that, that is a big difference because streaming allows you to take advantage of that like no other technology or delivery process has ever done except for DVD box sets, which were so far after the initial release originally. But you get people buying the whole Sopranos, you know, or whatever, because they want to have all of it and they want to go back with, you know, Tony and them and... and now they're they're just on there. You don't have to buy them. Well, I I um one hundred percent agree. I think you know James Bond and a few horror films have proved it over the over the years, and then it just kind of evolved. But I think the the biggest disruption in serialized world is Marvel. And you look at the announcement this year of how many different Star Wars and Marvel things are coming out on Disney Plus. I mean, I I, I swear I counted like thirty some odd movies that they're like, we're going to do this and this and this. And you're like, Eric, what, you know, what, what's going on? And then they had a couple that, that, uh, were uh, announced afterwards, like in, at the end of Mandalorian. And it's just like, wow. I mean, there's, they literally are building on that universe, but it's like, people are going to be more, uh, in tune to that because of that loyalty factor, you know? And I think that that's definitely the, uh, where the direction is going. But my question is, is it going to devalue, 
uh, the brand, the more that they just kind of pump out content and they're not putting the, the uh, quality and the money behind that? Well, it's an interesting question because it depends on your uh, orders of magnitude, right? If Disney Plus still gets a lot of subscribers and doesn't lose any subscribers, they're going to keep spending less. You know, Mandalorian's a lot cheaper than, you know, the last movie, right? And that's what they'll, they'll look at it that way. I think for the consumer, it's going to be rough because if you're really a fan and you like it, it can't help but diffuse it a little bit. And I think for the, you know, the Kevin Figs and the, the um, people who are in charge of managing this, it also means you spread the talent out a little bit, which, you know, means it's not always the Russo brothers and that great cast. It's always other people and other things. You know, Star Wars suffered that a little bit, even in their movies where some were good and some were bad. And, you know, there wasn't a consistency of, you know, vision for all of it. Marvel, in my opinion, has done an unbelievable job in the current version of the MCU. I particularly am curious to see what happens going forward, because I do think you can burn something, you know, you can, you can wear it out. I mean, Batman, when I first came to Hollywood, you know, Batman was Tim Burton and then it was Joel Schumacher and then it was all these people. And then people were just like, I can't watch another Batman. Like you can't. And and then Batman Begins comes out and it's the best Batman of freaking all time. Chris Nolan reinvents it, but it was like five or 10 years, maybe even longer, 15 years later. And so it's almost a generational change. Disney may also have the advantage, which they've always had. I always joke that somewhere in the back room, there's a Disney executive who talks like Matthew McConaughey from Days and Confused. <laughs> you know, I love it. I keep getting older, but tweens keep staying the same age. So, you know, they just keep programming and those people grow out and the next wave grows in. But for more mature things or, or other things, you know, it changed. And I think James Bond, you brought that up, is one of the best examples of being able to stay current and change a little bit. They've had different actors, different people. You know, you watch some of those Pierce Brosnan ones now and they just feel sort of over the top. But I liked them then. And but the Daniel Craig one's totally different. Then you go way back to Sean Connery and that guy's hitting women square in the face. Like it was <laughs> so out of it. You're just like, but in some ways it's a great marker. But back to your point of how it changes the business is now everybody who's in my position who's trying to be an independent producer, trying to be a, a studio producer or any of these groups, you know, the streamers are trying to have their loyalty worlds. Right. And that's why I think Disney has done so well. And I would keep betting on Disney in the streaming world is because they had all these brands that people are totally loyal to. And they real, and that's why they're at whatever close to 100 million subscribers already. I don't know what happens with Peacock and HBO Max because I'm not sure what's in that same category for them. And I really have no idea what happens on Paramount Plus or Discovery Plus or AMC. Like, I just don't believe Americans or even worldwide people are going to subscribe to all these things. So I, I don't know how the economics continues to work without this opening window where hits still drive enough economics to for people to take bets. 
I, and I think I think we're going to see a shift. Uh, and this is me like really kind of digesting the history. But I think when you have a quality show like Game of Thrones or you have like a House of Cards, that's going to even bring more people. In. When people naturally talk about it online and in person, hey, have you seen this? You know, that's what's going to be the next wave. So I think what what uh, Disney's going to do is they're going to clamp down and just do what what's going to really kind of exhilarate their 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 fan group they're going to expand that out go from there and then and then too i think that there there will be uh more quality that actually comes into it because to really keep someone yeah you can keep on putting it out and it's satisfied but it's just you have to get someone really involved you know in in a series like like a game of thrones or a house of cards or like a breaking bad type you know type of content so it'll be very interesting and i think um i think the outlier uh from my perspective i think the ones that i uh think that are bringing really good quality shows out there is amazon um, I think Amazon's an outlier, um, and um, you know, no, no they, one's talking a... about zero zero zero. Have you guys heard of that that series? Yep, it, no, I mean, it is a, a very expensive production, very well written, very well produced and filmed. It was in a bunch of locations, and no one's talking about it. But I've been evangelizing it because it's like one of my favorite you know shows of 2020, and and, and it goes down to one thing. I love mafia, you know, shows. I, I, I love that vertical. It's the reason why I watched the film The Irishman. Um, and, 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 that, that, and that's maybe one of those things as things become more decentralized. You know, I, I still think the demand for content's out there. And I don't think there's anyone out there saying, you know what, I'm satisfied. I, I've watched all the content I need to watch. You know, I, I think, if anything, people are making more time and 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 like this trend of binging is just going to um, keep happening and, and keep growing. But when it comes to um, new filmmakers and, and those that want to break out, um, you know they don't they're not going to be able to work with like those you know heavy duty brands you know that like Disney owns. Um, and you know it's it's going to be difficult in a lot of ways to be able to break out. Do you think you know um, for new filmmakers to be on the rise? They need to find genres or verticals that are very popular, like mafia or gangster movies or horror films or faith-based films. Is finding that niche the way to really, you know, get out there and, and, and maybe get an audience in the future because there's just so many options. So maybe you focus on a category that you know that there's a, a pretty big base that's going to be willing to watch it. Well, it's an age-old question. How do you launch new people? How do you, you know, do stuff? I I spend a lot of my time in this area right now. My career has a fair amount of people who I was part of them making their first projects. I think what I said earlier about people being more adventuresome with unknown things in the mainstream media is going to get less or less because the investment's too high to take a risk. I, you see even development funds are coming together where they literally say you have to be on your second or third movie before we'll consider working with you because they don't want to be in the first time filmmaker business. Um, but what I'd say is, and we haven't talked about this yet, we've been talking about the mainstream, you know, but I think the YouTubes, the, the TikToks, the, these other platforms are another way to do it. And that the, the, you know, my fantasy is that people will, as they start realizing what's the consistency between a Game of Thrones or between a Breaking Bad or between all those Marvel movies that they liked, 
they start valuing the writers and the directors and the creators and the people behind the camera a little bit more. Right. So that like, you know, I, I use sports as analogy sometimes like an example for me is in again, I, I believe athletes should be paid in college. So I'll just say that we're not talking about sports. But my point would be in college football, the coaches get paid a shitload of money. Right. And that's because they bring the best out of those young men who come and play football. Right. And in the movie business, there are people who do great and at creating stuff and keep doing it and they do it over time and they and nobody really focuses on them. Right now, the media and everybody's still really focused on actors. And I think that we got to twist it a little bit so that people value that more. So then when somebody goes out and makes a small movie or somebody creates something in a in a different way, like a short series, you know, there's people that are doing series that are only five or six episodes long. Right. Or, uh, you know, a story of the last five years to show high maintenance that started on Vimeo and then ended up on HBO. You know, those kind of things can create whole groups of talent. You know, um, but I think film festivals are going to have a hard time after this COVID and whatever, because it's people have gotten used to being able to see it. And I, and I don't know if that'll work. So I think a new bit of the industry will come out of people who are out looking and finding and, and pointing, but actually online building fan bases, sort of like what's happening in music. You know, if you have new music, you put it out on Spotify, you put it out on one of the things. And if you get to a certain level, it starts to move forward and people start to hear of you. And then, but that, and that was the same way, ironically, you know, like they always say, you know, past is prologue or whatever, but like, that's the way it was in, in the world when, there were small clubs and you play music in Seattle and you find Nirvana or Soundgarden and then you play music in Memphis and you find. And now those little areas like Seattle, Memphis are online. They're not. So people can find it all over and people then bubble up. I think that the technology will get to the place where that can happen in movies. There's a there's a story you guys may have studied. There's a movie. I want to say one night it happened one night or it's a. Uh, young filmmaker made a kind of horror story about aliens and whatnot. And, you know, he made it on his own and Netflix picked it up. And on one hand, he was really happy that Netflix picked it up. On the other hand, if you get picked up by Netflix, you get swallowed into that machine where they're releasing like 20, 30 new things a week. And he never really had a chance to come out. And so he, you know, I like the movie and people internally talked about it, but he himself didn't have a chance to build an audience. And what I tell young people now is you got to build a little bit of an audience for yourself, you know, so that you can show people that you're also bringing marketing to the table because what doesn't get valued at the same level it used to is the ability to just deliver a good product, the experience, the skills. You know, Rid Ridley Scott's been making a career out of that for a long time. You give him a script, he's going to give you a good version of it. The movie, and whether it's good or bad, is going to depend to some extent whether it was a good script or not. We can all mention movies Ridley made that sucked and movies that Ridley made. It's not because Ridley made them badly. It's because they started bad and then he just delivered. That guy, the, the young Ridley Scott right now, is going to have a lot of trouble moving up the ranks unless he goes out and builds sort of people who know who he is. I think that's one of the underlining things of any great project um, is that that writing and, the you know, getting the right vision that can go into that script. And I, I look at Christopher Nolan, but his brother, Jonathan, is like 
really, really good, you know, and I like it just there's a lot of wealth. And then two, uh, the Nolan brothers, I mean, they, they basically are using computers too to help, you know, improve ideation of where that's going. And so I, I do believe to really break out. I do agree with you 100%. You know, you're going to have to figure out where you can you prove it socially that can kind of lead over to this other. If not, you're going to be drowning in all, so much uh, competition out there that our subpar competition is just drowned because there's just so much. It's saturated. Well, and it's a really different model right now because in the case of the networks and the studios, when they were living a hit-driven model, they were on your side, right? If you made something good, they jacked the shit out of it. I mean, we were making American Pie. There were some people thought we were making a porno. Some people inside Universal were like, we shouldn't even make this movie. Then it came out. Then they saw it. They realized it's actually kind of sweet. They saw that it's a lot about the boys bonding and being afraid of going to college and whatnot. And it became a hit. And Universal could turn on the machine behind American Pie and say, let's go watch that. Netflix is never going to want to turn on the machine around one title because their whole thing is about selling the platform, right? So they, they want you to come there. Yeah, they'll tell you, here's our top 10 list or this is our thing. But they're not invested in making one thing way better than the other. And it's for two reasons. One is they don't want people to turn off Netflix when the, when the good thing's over, right? They want them to keep Netflix. And the other is they don't want every piece of talent calling them up and saying, hey, I saw what you did for, you know, the Irishman. Why the hell haven't you done that for my project? Well, your project sucks. Nobody wants to say that to a talent, right, that, they're, that nobody's watching it. So the, the platforms create this change in the dynamic. And as a young person coming up, that's what you need is someone's going to champion your project because it's good. Not, and, and to some extent, and, you know, Harvey's a horrible person, and in no way am I saying this, but the existence of Miramax and a few other distributors back in the 90s were the example of this. They were out there finding individual projects, pushing those projects. Then when they became successes, pushing those filmmakers and trying to make more projects with those filmmakers. Right. Nobody has a vested interest in doing that right now. In fact, they're doing the opposite. They're putting big dollars behind people who have already been successful. So, you know, I'm happy Shonda Rhimes came out with another hit for Netflix. But that's a tough business is to keep making it hits. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I mean, I mean, I wonder, I mean, is, is it going to be one of those things where there's less quality? and It's going to be just too much saturation or. Is it? I believe it's actually going to be the content's going to get better and better. There's going to be more competition. There's more decentralization, and then I, I think there's a good chance that the platforms are going to evolve based on the audiences that are watching those platforms. And so the, the, um, there's a lot of discussion about consolidation. I don't see that happening anytime soon. I think we're just at the very beginning of decentralization, and and. I think there's going to be, you know, underserved communities that want to watch a certain type of film or a certain type of series that they maybe don't get enough content in that area. I mean, that's the reason why I believe YouTube exploded like it did at the very beginning. No one um, was catering to the gaming community, which is a huge community, or the beauty community. I mean, the, or you could say even the LGBTQ community or, or, or other um, 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 genres or... Um, target markets or ethnicities or minorities. 
Um, there were a lot of things that had to come from decentralization, so people felt like they were able to watch content um, that was much more appealing to them, that they could be more passionate about. Um, I, I think that's going to continue to happen with series, and I think also with film. I, I well, well, this may be our, our, our big disagreement. I guess what the question becomes, Ricky, is what you mean by decentralization, because I, I think... The expenses of running a worldwide streaming service are massive, right? So I, I think that what you're, if you're talking about there will be channels. So what I look at now is more like the cable model. When people were selling cable and they bundled, right? And I think what Amazon's doing right now is the smartest thing that they can do. And I think in some ways Disney's doing the same thing. They offer the bundle, right? And they, you know, for me who has kids, who also likes, you know, the Marvel stuff, Star Wars, and I love ESPN, I'm all for it. I still have no idea if I'll watch anything on Hulu, but I'm happy to get it to see if I can, which in my opinion is the same way when I bought my cable package and didn't give a shit about having AMC until they had, you know, uh, the... Uh, the vampire or whatever, the zombie show, right? The, so the point is that I don't know that those things, those markets you're talking about, can completely sustain themselves on their own. So the question will be, the thing that the cable providers did, that, in my opinion, was smart, was they didn't get too involved in what the programming was. They said, look, we'll carry you, we'll pay you X amount of dollars, and we had sports, and we had food, and we had all kinds of stuff that became channels, and then the ones that got bigger ended up getting bought, right, and were part of a package. The question is whether in, in, the, in the internet business, those guys are going full bore right now after original programming, and they're saying to themselves, our way of standing out and justifying our monthly subscription is the original programming we have. The cable providers never had to do that because they all had all the channels. They all, and their differentiation was around geography and around service and around, you know, Amazon's the only one who's jumped into that race now. My question is, what, what happens if AMC Plus doesn't make enough money for them to have original programming anymore, or the original programming is, you know, what A&E did, whatever, that, that live police department, whatever, what, live PD or whatever, and that's their only channel, then th they start not to be able to play, and then it gets smaller because there's only a few people making green light decisions. If through not having the costs of their own streaming service, their own other stuff, and they just become like I think what BBC does with Amazon, what PBS does, that's the way it'll end up going. And these five or six others, that's why I hope somebody like Peacock or HBO Max or, you know, decides, you know what, there's just no way it can be exclusive. And that's the thing that's so hard is that in music, in books, in gaming even, the, the, the platforms aren't exclusive, right? They don't only support the stuff they make, right? Whereas in, in movies and television, it's the only one left. It didn't used to be because we had windowing, right? They'd, they'd keep it exclusive for the first window, right? And then they'd let it go live wherever. But, to, I mean, that's why I'm always amazed when I can buy a Netflix show on Amazon, right? I'm always like, wait, how is that possible? But you're like... Well, because in Netflix's mind, it's so old now, they'd rather make the money of me paying for it than realizing I can go get it on Netflix. Or ESPN making the last dance with Netflix. I don't think ESPN will ever do that again. 
because they'll want The Last Dance to be on Disney Plus only or ESPN Plus only, right? But but that creates a problem, I think, because then it becomes this margin business of your only greenlighting content that has this size of a margin, you know? Whereas a lot of the content you're talking about, or when I'm going back to the days in the 90s when there were these independent distributors, or even guys today like A24 or Neon, these guys have to be working off of margins like this big, right? If you're at Disney or you're at Netflix, you walk in and say, look, it's a margin this big. They're just like, it's not worth it. We, we need the margin to be this big and we're not, it, it doesn't matter. And so then what I worry is all those communities you just described become a quota business for the big streamers. We got to have so many LGBT. We got to have a couple gaming shows. We need to have one or two. Or maybe they cannot keep up with the growth that's going to happen in certain categories that they put, haven't put investment in. So, so I agree. But you don't think they can just buy them? When they prove that they have enough, but it might get to the point where there's way too much out there, and and there there might be content that maybe does not fit. I mean, specifically on their platform, and, and so what I'm saying is like I think what you're saying I agree 100 percent with, and I think that's going to continue to happen. And and these you know big companies and these platforms and these studios are always going to very, stay very relevant in funding content and and growing what they're doing. And I think we're just seeing the very beginning of what Amazon's doing. However. I do think this next era, I mean, this next era, excuse me, not era, but the next era era of content is going to be where the content creators um, are going to be way more empowered and specifically those that have influence and audiences. And so when it comes to monetization, sure, maybe they'll come out with a film every year, but that's not going to be the only thing that's going to be helping them monetize. They're going to be selling merch. They're going to be doing live streaming. They're going to be figuring out other ways of monetizing. They might even have limited series or ongoing series where they figure out how to be able to, you know, produce content that's long form in addition to, you know, catering and consistently engaging with their captivated audiences that they're growing day after day. And so I, I think we're just starting to see the beginning of that. We're, we're no, we know that. You have, I mean, we've talked about this before. You have someone like an Ariana Grande that has well over 100 million followers. Um, when she hooks up with the right person and, and with the right team and, and things like, okay, I want to have a film come out every year. She probably has enough influence and followers and distribution to have a successful film. Well, maybe if she's created her own platform where, you know, she's able to live stream um, with her audiences and, and put out different forms of content, you know, she's going to hopefully follow the data and optimize what she's doing and becomes more and more successful. And so I actually think there will be decentralization both with platforms and with different types of content. And I don't think films going to be going anywhere. I don't think long form series are going to be going anywhere, but I do think there's going to be even more opportunity, but it's going to be coming from those that have the influence and that, you know, also have the resources to fund it themselves and to build around them a team that can make that, that can help them do it and make it happen. Well, and I think, too, uh, where it's going to get interesting is the Gen Z is not like any other generation that's ever existed. And the way that they actually consume content and media is different. And so for me, it's like uh, I do agree it's going to be around personality base more than anything else, because that's what they that they're used to. And they're looking at all the other type of content from there. 
Um, and I, I know you're going to see a shift because we're already seeing the shift, you know, and so it'll be, okay, who is that next creator? So I, I see amazing writer directors working with some of the most creative people on the planet, which are some of these influencers now of really tackling this, this up and coming generation to, to really be engaged. And I think that there's an awkward period. I think we're in that awkward period, but the data is, is, is skewing that younger generation where it's skewing is the way they, they consume things. Um, they're not watching Netflix as much as they did two years ago, you know, um, that the, the younger generation, they're just not. And, and it scares the heck out of Netflix. It scares the head of the, the heck out of all these other uh, platforms because wherever that young generation's going is where the future is going to be. And, and, is and it that's going where one or two central places or is it going all over? It, it, it's like it, the, the type of content um, like like uh, the Netflix CEO said that they actually fear, uh, you know, a competitor is, is Fortnite versus Netflix. And it's true. It's like they're going to other things that's taking time that isn't necessarily the entertainment that's providing by that platform. And. No, and, and I'm just saying, and it's just getting more, more ingrained. I, you know, I, I keep a very close eye on Gen Z because that's my job to do that. And then I also have kids that are Gen Z and they're freaking on TikTok longer than anything else. So they're watching some YouTuber. They're not, they're not, you know, binge watching. I think the only show that they binge watch consistently was The Office, you know, and, and other than that, they really don't care to watch too much, you know, uh, you know, other, other content like that. So the platforms that are going to win are the ones that are going to go above and beyond on empowering and um, better compensating the content creators, whether that's, you know, long form series or if it's live streaming or if it's creating short form content. Um, there's only, you know, there's there's a couple of different models right now. You have like the YouTube AdSense, you know, you know, model where you can get a rev share with, you know, ad dollars. You have Netflix that, you know, ha has their model, Amazon, where they pay creators. But, you know, it, it's kind of like, and I, I, I've used this reference before where, you know, Dave Chappelle went to Netflix and said, hey, I know you can do this, but I don't feel good about you um, streaming the Dave Chappelle show owned by um, Viacom CBS. And um, it's very interesting that Netflix you know, listen to Dave and they stop streaming it. And it's because they see the value in the relationship with that creator. And they know that they can do future business with Dave Chappelle. And it's also an amazing message to other content creators out there that Netflix, you know, is going to be you know, very helpful and empowering um, and, and fair to work with. And, and I think we're going to be seeing that across, you know, all platforms. We're already seeing that. Um, you know, on, on social media where YouTube and, 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 and Twitch and, and other platforms are paying for exclusivity when it comes to streaming and, and when it comes to, you know, content creators that are um, um, making content on, the, on their platforms. And I, I think we're just seeing the beginning of that because there's not millions of creators that are getting these, um, th this exclusivity. There's still a huge audience out there. Um, of, of creators and, and, and influencers that these platforms need to cater to. And so I think as they start competing and trying to make sure that they have the best place um, for these content creators, it, it is going to create some competition and even some decentralization of the platforms. But I also think we're going to get to the point be, um, where, you know, 
a lot of these creators are going to be doing everything. So, you know, I, I you know, I, I mentioned this before, and, and, and Daryl, let me know if you want to go deeper into this, but Daryl and I have um, collaborated um, on a faith-based project, and, you know, it's being successful by, you know, having a long-form series, but also um, it's built a huge community of millions of followers around it. And I think that's going to keep happening and, and be something that's much more prominent where, you know, you're going to have to build an audience on, on a variety of platforms um, in addition to creating the content. Yeah, I, I think it's an interesting time. I think that, uh, you know, earlier on this conversation that we had, uh, we talked about, uh, Chris made this very specific, is like you have to have that social presence to even get known of some of the projects that you're working on. Um, I know that there's a lot of uh, actors in the space that are transforming and really getting involved in social media. And that does make a huge difference, too. But I, like I said, I, I truly do believe that we're in an awkward period uh, because of the, the transition of money and where it's going to go, because where contracts is, what was assumed going into it. Um, and where's that value coming in? Because like some of these, these people that have put in their dues and have been able to, you know, get people to go and, and, uh, people will buy tickets to go into these movies. Now it's, it's just like, okay, it's, they're going into a very saturated place. And so what is that next step? And you brought up Dave Chappelle. He's not even freaking on social media. Like he is literally anti-social media, but yet he, he has that presence. Right. And so. That's you know that's very interesting, but it is awkward. And you know, being um, in this industry specifically on where we try to empower creators on TubeBuddy or specifically doing product placement and influencer marketing, it's the same business. You know, we're we're in a lot of the productions out there, um, and whether you know it's it's a series on a streaming platform or if it's working with TikTok creators, it's the same vision. It's the same business, but they're two different worlds still. And to the point where we have to have dedicated teams that are doing product placement and, and, and dedicated teams doing TikTok, we don't overlap them because even though they're very similar, they're different animals. And I think um, things are gonna continue to collide more where it is gonna be a lot more the same and, and much more similar. But w whether you're doing um, product placement in a series or a film or a music video or doing um, live streaming on, on Twitch.tv or a TikTok um, a video, you know, you're doing the same thing. You're getting, you know, product inside of the content and you're, you're trying to do it in a very authentic, you know, way that doesn't, that's not too disruptive. Um, but working with a TikTok creator and working with a showrunner or a prop master is a different process. And they're different worlds and they look at things differently. They look at content differently. They look at monetizing differently. And so I agree. I think that's a really good assessment of saying that this is a really interesting time because there's a lot that's showing of like the potential that's in the entertainment industry. But it's also a very awkward time because it's very difficult to figure out, OK, this is exactly what's going to happen across the board. Although I think what you're saying, I would just throw out there, and it's been something that I have tried to say to people for years, is you are then giving much more power to creators who are also promoters, people who also understand marketing. And one of the little games that got played in Hollywood, I would say, since the 80s was these companies, the distributors, the marketers, 
said to the talent, you don't need to worry about that. We do that. And how talent made decisions was based on who was going to market them the best or who was going to support them. But they stayed in the back. They passed it off to the company that was going to market and release it. And now what you're saying and what I think you're right, you look at somebody like The Rock is a genius at it. He's great at it. Right. And I love The Rock. I think he's awesome. And, you know, and and they're they're changing the idea. You know, Ryan Reynolds or George Clooney owning tequila and Ryan Reynolds doing a cell phone company. The these guys are saying, look, we're a personality in the world. And a lot of it started in hip hop where those guys were looking for money and they're doing vodka and they're doing clothes and they're doing and none of their fans cared. They were OK with them making money. Right. And I think that that's a new reality for mainstream Hollywood, because the one thing that's different about acting or telling stories is there's a certain suspense of this suspension of disbelief and there's a certain you're becoming somebody else. So like, if you look at my little career, the two biggest guys that I ever worked with were Matt and Ben. And the two of them have very different points of view about social media and about what you're talking about. And more people know about Ben's personal life than they do Matt's. I think that actually gives Matt an advantage in playing parts because you see him in a part and you can say that doesn't immediately fly in the face of who he is. The Rock, on the other hand, in my opinion, basically plays The Rock. I'm going to see The Rock in the CIA. I'm going to see The Rock, you know, okay, now he's going to be with kids. Okay, now he's going to flex up and kick some ass. Now he's going to, you know, but he's The Rock, right? And, and I think that that's, yeah. Right. And, and the difference is that somewhere in the balance, it's like Leonardo DiCaprio. I don't even know if that guy's married or have kids. I don't have any idea about Leonardo DiCaprio. Right. But I'll watch him in different movies. I recently watched Gilbert Grape. The guy's just an unbelievable actor. Right. But I think that goes into the the movie and television fictional scripted side. And that's why reality television is becoming more popular and whatever is because people get to be that person all along. Right. Like if if Tom Cruise set up the Ethan Hunt community. Right. That probably wouldn't work because then it would need to be other people or like in your faith based project. It's OK to have a whole community build around that because there's an underlying core belief of the people who support that project. Right. But the general stars like, you know, if, if Mark Hamill did the Luke Skywalker thing, people be like, why, why would I come to Mark Hamill's Luke Skywalker? Right. I would I, at least be George Lucas, if not whatever. So I, I think the thing that's happened that that is making it awkward is this. How does somebody who is telling fictional stories about groups of characters bring in that that level of social influence without making it all about themselves? Because I would say somebody like Spike Lee has has to some extent hurt his marketability in the mainstream because everybody looks at him as he's going to tell, you know, a black story or he's going to have a point of view. Oliver Stone's in the same place. And so the question is, on one hand, there's a bunch of projects that Spike Lee's great for. On the other hand, he's not. But if you watch The Inside Man, which is basically a thriller, I mean, Denzel's in it, but it's also Jodie Foster and Clive Owen. And it's a great movie. Spike Lee's a great director. But because he's made himself a bigger persona, which is sort of what you guys are recommending, 
he he is, he is somewhat limited by the persona in, in a certain world. Chris Nolan, who you guys already talked about, I, again, don't know shit about that guy. Don't know what he's doing. I love his movies. I think he's really good. But if Chris Nolan went out and started doing what The Rock does, does that hurt Chris Nolan? Yeah, I don't think it does. I think it's the positioning of it, right? So, like, because cause, like, cause Chris Nolan isn't in front of the camera. You know, he's behind the camera. And so I don't know. Like, I'm interested in his process. I'm interested in what he's doing. I'm interested in all the little details of what, what he has going on. But I think I think the aspect would be, is it for an A-list celebrity now uh, versus, you know, someone that's going to be discovered. Because at the end of the day, um, the, I don't think we'll be having this conversation uh, because people like want to know more, you know, and, and I think the whole, the whole, uh, you know, comment that you said about, you know, reality, that can be what they want. I think the new, the new uh, stars of future movies and TV are people that are going to have social followings and they are going to have that persona, you know, and there might be a person here too, but the question is, is if they're not going in and are buying a commitment and buying a ticket to go to a movie or spending the time on, on, you know, whatever it is to watch a, a TV program, like, how are they going to, how are they going to break out? You know, if it's going to be oversaturated. For I that. think there's still going to be a place for a Christopher Nolan in 20 years or in 50 years. And well, that I, is going to be that's going to be collaborating with wherever these audiences are, and wherever you know you know what he's passionate about and creating is going to align with one of these audiences. And so, if that is him collaborating with someone that has a hundred million followers and 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 great engagement and distribution, where they can collaborate on, on doing a project together that can be very very lucrative, um. The, the content is always going to need to be there, and there's still going to be those that are writers, are you know the the the, the prop masters, are or the the showrunners. All those jobs are still going to be in existence. It's just going to be a different world, and I, I would probably say there's going to be a lot of different options, even more. But do you think those people ever become influencers? If they want to, but there might be. I mean, this is one of those things where. I don't know if everyone wants to be an influencer. There's some people are just artists. They want to create and they want to do something specific. And I think there's going to be right. a place for them because that is going to be a, a, a part of the process in creating film. Y yeah, but they're, they're going to need to be connected. I mean, they, no, like, they're going to have to be connected. At, they're going to have yeah, to like, work with those that have a strong distribution or you know have a large following or a community that they've been able to develop around or create. But so the influence could be inside that community of influencers. Yes. Like there's there's a lot of directors, I'll use Ridley again, that actors want to work with. So Ridley doesn't need to have 100 million people following him. He just needs to get Ariana Grande to be in his movie. Exactly. Right? And you guys think that will still exist. That, I, that, I do, that, 100%. And, and Ariana Grande might have a platform where she can distribute it and where they can make way more profits than they were ever making before with other movies. Yeah, you know, I agree with that. I, I just think some of this talent is afraid to step out and, and support other talent, you know. Whereas, again, hip-hop being sort of ahead, you know, with those record labels where Dr. Dre's got Eminem and Eminem's got 50 Cent, you know, that that's what I wish would happen in the movie business is, you know, Chris Nolan then brings up somebody and that guy finds somebody and it's it's the... 
it's the draft effect of people being successful to bring them up the line and let other people know, hey, we think this guy's talented, you know. Um, and I think in some ways, if Chris Nolan or George Lucas or, you know, I don't know, J.J. had fallen in love with the guy who did this night thing on Netflix, that would have been better for that filmmaker's career than Netflix picking up his movie because it got lost in the Netflix thing. Whereas somebody like J.J. or even it's like Usher bringing up Justin Timberlake. I mean, uh, uh, what's his name? Bieber. Is that you there's more belief artist to artist than there is company to artist. And that's why I think they also have a lot of value in developing talent. Well, so it's going to be interesting to see this all develop. But you're right. You, you like mentioned, you know, you know, there needs to be more people going out there and like taking the risk, you know, to, to make something like this happen. Um, you know, there, there's there's going to have to be a level up when it comes to vision on like what you can accomplish. And a lot of these, you know, artists or influencers or creators, they're going to have to surround themselves um, with, you know, analysts and oper operational geniuses to be able to build empires or to build studios. But that's something that I think, you know, The Rock is obviously making plenty of money. He's doing really well. He probably doesn't think he needs to make more, but he's in a position where he could, where he could literally own the infrastructure and, and get, you know, the majority of the profits on, on, on productions or um, films or series that he wants to create. Yeah, I mean, what he did with that wrestling movie, I don't know if you guys saw it with the I young girl. Yep. Um, you know, I think it's called Fighting With My Family or something. Uh, what's her name? She's a, a star. Uh, anyway, was awesome. I mean, that's the power of The Rock. He's in it for like two minutes. He goes out and he talks about it. It's a world that he relates to and that it's a it's a, you know, a, a WWE story. It's based on a real story. The Rock says, this is a great story. You guys should check it out. And it becomes a successful movie. Right. And and it's that way. You know, Oprah could have that power. She wanted to do that more. But she I, I think she goes off and and, you know, do, does things. But that's that's where I agree with you guys. The question is. Is that a psychological thing in your head of promoting other people is sort of counterintuitive for some of these people who have been out there promoting themselves for, you know, 20 years? You know, some, but I think we're seeing a difference um, with this with this next generation of content creators. You have, for example, someone that we talk about a lot here <laughs> and he's shown up on the program several times, um, you know, who um, Daryl, you know, has collaborated with and does a lot of producing around is Mr. Beast. He's someone that really has this huge vision and he wants to accomplish a lot from starting a hamburger chain um, to, you know, uh, you know, a very successful merch line to, you know, in just a year, you know, building one of the most successful um, gaming channels on, on YouTube. And, and, you know, so there is going to have to be another level of ambition, but also another level of being very data driven. And, and because th that's just going to be something that, you know, people are going to have to look at the data. They're going to have to, you know, do a risk assessment and say, okay, do I want to put resources here? Am I going to get a return? And, you know, and so it's going to be interesting. And, and as we, we've talked about this a little bit last time, you know, we had you on, you know, there's going to be a lot with technology and data and AI that's going to be that are going to be very helpful, um, you know, when it comes to the process of prioritizing, you know, content that you want to be working on or seeing what content is going to be successful. Now, 
it was you and I actually had a back and forth on our first episode on our first um, time together on what is AI going to be able to do now it will not be able to predict everything um, we've been very fortunate to have breakthroughs where we've been able to um, you know last year in, 20, in 2019 we were able to um, predict 10 out of the top 10 new pilots that came out um, and um, and then, you know, this last year is, is way different. And we predicted eight out of the top 10, which is still very impressive because no one else was able to predict that, that high of amount. Um, however, there are always going to be outliers. And you, and you said something like this where you're like, well, there's always going to be a creative genius that's going to think about it themselves. And it's going to be super viral. And no one's going to be able to predict that. And that's true. You know, you can take the, that data and, and put it into the feedback loop. So you start training the AI to be able to understand those anomalies. But I'll give one example. Tiger King that was not on our map. We had zero predictions around Tiger King. And um, it was a, a series that ended up being crazy successful. And then, you know, we took all of that. We're like, okay, let's add that data into our, to our algorithms. And hopefully we can, you know, predict the next, you know, Tiger King um, if, it, if it's going to surface. Um, um, but where, where do you think, you know, um, Chris, you being a content creator and being a very successful one, you know, um, you've done some of the most iconic projects out there. Um, you know, Good Goodwill Hunting. I mean, that is just a film that has just positively influenced this this, this world, and um, it's up there. You know, I put it up there on my favorites, like with um, The Godfather. Um, where do you think you're going to be more empowered with technology and data? Um, you know, for future projects. Well, it's interesting because you're right. I, I have disagreed. I, I guess for me, I have a different definition now of AI than it, it's this predictive thing. It's more that that it's great to know how humans behave. Right. My issue with AI is that it, it's still a little bit looking back at how we used to behave. And one of the things that and, and Tiger King may be a version of this, I don't know, but they, there's a little part of Hollywood, at least, probably creation of content, let's say, in all of them, gaming, books, movies, television, music, where the humans who are really good at it are a little bit ahead of the curve, right? They, they don't know necessarily, or the data might not be perfect, but they look at it and say, people would like this. And I think that will exist out there, and they'll have the benefit now of having all this data. Right. That they see what it is. But what I think is much more important, which I think could be really valuable, is I think all of these streaming services are going to land in a world, except if they do something like Amazon, where they have lots of channels, all of the channels per se. And I don't mean like ABC and CBS. What I mean is just the idea that there is a programming infrastructure are going to have a demographic they talk to. And I think what you said about Chris Nolan is right, is that the AI and the, the way they manage their humans that they talk to will create an environment where when a creative person gets interested in something else, right? Like Batman Begins is totally different than Dunkirk, right? And I love that Chris Nolan made both those movies, right? And, and he should be allowed to go out and focus on different things and different things, you know? And the point is what he's going to need and what AI is going to really help is you want to reach the people who might like that movie. And the thing that's wildly changed is it used to be nationwide, you know, everybody goes, whatever. I think that's over. I think we are at the stage now where when you start a project, 
You have to start in on which demographic you're going after. And these groups will be focused on those people, right? There is a difference between content, between age groups, between demographics. And if you can amass and really cater, that will also help. I'm going for this group of people. Like I had an experience. I made a horror movie called Joyride a few years ago. And we, we went out and tested, which used to be the version of AI was you go out and you do theater testing, right? And you, now I know AI is way more complicated and way deeper than just doing an audience survey, but it's the same concept of let's see how people react to all these different variables. And Joyride tested great. You know, they have quadrants, you know, age, gender, that kind of thing. And, it tested great in three of them. And it tested so well in three of them that the studio decided we should do some more work to get it to test as good in the fourth quadrant. And as filmmakers, we were like, that's a bad idea because the fourth quadrant was women over 30. Well, boys under 25 and women over 30 have about two crossovers total in the whole world, right? So to make a horror movie that's going to appear uh, apply to both, we're going to lose some of the boys under 25 if we go women over 30, right? And it's a horror movie. So on average, the people who are going are the boys under 25, right? So the fact that we got women under 25, we should be dancing in the street, lock this up, be done, let's get it out, right? But they were obsessed with the all four quadrants, on a horror movie, right? I don't think anyone in a million years would do that today. They wouldn't sit down and say we got it. They would actually say, which quadrant is it? Can we get lucky? Same with American Pie. We got girls. Girls like that, right? And it was part of the title and the way the movie played. But the point is that the AI and the data, I think, will actually make things a little more specific for different demographics. And what we have to do is be way better at defining those demographics in, in a much more detailed way than just gender and age. Right. Because there are older people who like the Marvel movies like me. Right. There are younger people who are all for watching Ammonite, right? Which I couldn't possibly bring myself to watch. There are still people who like to cry. I mean, we found those people with Manchester by the Sea when I would have told you on this show, this is the worst idea for a movie ever. Dead children, a kid who doesn't, you know, a lead character who doesn't actually change. A, you know, the whole thing was bad, but there were people who still like that. And Amazon, to their credit, was able to find them. And, and it actually turned out to be financially successful for everybody. The point is, when you're a guy like me, where you start at the very beginning of a project where AI and data could be really helpful is you say, who am I making this for? If you look at my own career, I, you would never say the audience for American Pie or Joyride is the same audience for Manchester by the Sea. In fact, Goodwill Hunting's probably closer to Manchester by the Sea. Then you get adjustment bureaus a little closer in the middle, and then you get. But the point is, if we could have that conversation in an educated way before you have to sign up, and you didn't have all these platforms trying to cater to everyone, right? You can make a little bit more specific programming that that audience would love. And then if you got a crossover, great. Right. And if, if yeah, you can also you, you can also build the economics around that audience. So you don't have to always build the economics around the vast the macro audience.
right? I mean, people talk about Manchester by the sea as success. People talk about Goodwill Hunting. Goodwill Hunting made, you know, triple the amount of money at Manchester by the sea, but it was a different time where it was all based on national or international worldwide success. That That's far less now because there's all these different avenues. And it wasn't because, now again, I don't think Goodwill is as sad as Manchester, but the point is that the, 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 the general spoke is the expectations were less, right? If you can make $10 million off a $5 million movie, great, right? But, you know, so it's, I think the AI can really make better content for audiences who are already going to like it. And that, that creators who are making stuff know intellectually that they're going after a specific. It's why somebody like Tyler Perry is so, he knows he's going after a central audience. And if it happens to carry over, great, right? But if it doesn't, he's still fine. Yeah, you know? yeah. No, it, it's interesting. You know, when, when it comes down, and it, I, I agree, like when there's a specific community and there's uh, someone that has a lot of influence in that community and they're gonna create content for that community, um, it's going to be a lot easier to be able to model out and figure out, okay, how well is this content going to do? Um, um, rather than just creating a piece of content and just hoping that you get good distribution for it. However, with the latter, you know, which is more of a, a traditional um, path, uh, you know, you're talking about AI and data. You know, we, I, I, I say AI a lot because that encompasses a lot of things that we're doing from con computer vision to audio to you know, Bayesian models to machine learning models. Uh, we, we do a, a lot of different things when we're looking at the data. And what's interesting is when we are looking at new opportunities, there's a couple of things that stick out. One, you know, um, the unstructured data is re really important. A synopsis is really important or a script when making a prediction if it's going to be successful. So we're able to have our AI look at you know, thousands and thousands of different, you know, films and productions of what has been successful. And, and, and a lot of it comes to the synopsis. It also comes down to the correlations of who's going to be behind the project. Who are the producers? Who are the directors? Um, of course, the cast makes a huge difference. And, and so there's a lot of different things that you have to do and you have to look at in order to make a prediction. And, you know, our, our predictions, we've been very fortunate to, you know, have them be very, very you know, good and have high accuracy rates. Um, and then you have outliers and we use those outliers to train the model because sometimes those outliers are going to crash. Sometimes they're going to just explode. But I think we're going to get to the point where as we're just at the very, very beginning stages of being able to um, make these types of predictions. But I think it's getting to the point where someone will be able to watch a film or, or a show or a series and we're going to be able to analyze with bio data how they're reacting to that show or to that series. And there might be able to be alternate storylines or alternate endings as a result on how people are reacting. That sounds crazy. That sounds like something that's way too futuristic, but I think those days are coming sooner than we all realize because the technology is there. Um, it's just, we have to be ready for it. Well, and then, look, there's always going to be people who love you use the term way early in this conversation of art. Right. And some people will say art is personal. 
right? So they lose a little bit of their interest in projects if somebody says, oh, we did all the biometrics and we did all the AI and we, we made this story, right? They're, you, maybe we're not going to tell people that. But I think there's also going to be at some point great storytellers telling stories will still be interesting because there is talent involved. But I, but I think that it's, uh, you're totally right about that. And I think what will happen is it will start to become phased in, just like there were filmmakers who would pretend, I don't want my movie tested. I don't want to know what the little 400 people in the valley you know, think. And then there were filmmakers like, I definitely want to know that because I want to see what they react to and what they do. Just like some people who run networks right now are still doing pilots and some aren't, right? Because they're, they, they think there's something they see. But I think you're right that I just am not a believer, even though I'm an old guy in this demographic of, Data hurts you in any way, right? The, the, except in the way I just pointed out in the Joyride example, where if you mysteriously think you can get everybody, you know, there's an old saying, you know, you, you, you can't please everybody all the time, right? And so if people early in the process could say, this is a piece of content aimed at these people and technology allows for all of the people that might like that content to find it, that's what filmmakers should be looking for is the match of the people that find the audience that they think they're making stuff for. Right. And that's what will really change the business is when we don't have to make things that somehow are going to appeal to everyone. Right. right? No, absolutely. Well, Chris, it's been fantastic to be able to have you on here again. You know, we I've been very fortunate to work with you and, um, you know, executives that work with me, you know, like Caressa has been working with you for a long time. And, yeah. and, and, you know, you, you really are a thought leader when it comes to entertainment. And that's why we love to always call you up and um, take your time, right. and, you know, you know, pick your brain and all that. And, um, thank you so much for coming on here. Um, you know, it's, it's one of those things where, again, taking it back to like the business that I focus on and Ben Group, you know, product placement is just something that's been happening for four, like for 40 years, but, with all this stuff that is happening and with things becoming a lot more data driven and, and decentralized, it, it's making this type of business explode. Um, you know, we will always remember those iconic placements. Like, for example, you mentioned James Bond. We got James Bond to stop drinking a martini to drink a Heineken, you know, a couple of times. You know, we got yeah. him to start driving a BMW. And this is something yeah. that's going to become even more and more, I think, the future of entertainment. But it's gonna be ha it's happening now at such a high quantity where we're literally getting thousands and thousands of integrations and product placements a year where like you know those days of feature films where everyone knows about them it, it, it's gonna be a lot more personalized and individualized and decentralized um, where it's gonna be different communities or different audiences excited about different pieces of content. Um, well, I think also, Ricky, you guys are in the middle of it. I know you don't like to jump into content choices per se yet with your clients and other people. But the the thing that advertisers and I've said this before, and I'll just end with this comment, is that the storytelling business, whatever the format, whatever the delivery technology has the biggest change on a macro level over the last two years we've been talking about or whatever is it's become a consumer products business. It has no longer got any special place in the market. It no longer has any special ownership over people's mind share, as Daryl said about his kids. You know, they don't can't be controlled anymore. Right. They don't control it. So now they are competing 
against all these other people who are way ahead of them in consumer marketing. And a group of the people who are way ahead of them are your clients, right? So like Heineken per se could also give people data about what else they like if they're their demographic that want to buy Heineken. So you tell them they like James Bond. You tell them they like, and also how to market to that audience and talk to that audience. And I think that that's a very valuable thing where you go in the same way I'm saying you want to find people in the world that are already predisposed to like your content. I think you also want to find brands that are going to attach you to that audience also so that they become marketing hooks, just like having Ariana Grande is the same thing as having a a type of car or a type of beer or whatever. So I I just think you guys are way more positioned now to go beyond the prop master that producers like me and other people like me should be calling you up, figuring out what demographics of brands are similar to the audience this product is going after, right? Because they will matter as much you know, in the long term of the feeling of that brand, right, then and that emotional connection to the brand will matter to a piece of content as much as a star does. Right. Well, Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. And everyone that's tuning in, thank you so much for listening. Please be sure to subscribe, whatever platform you're on, you know, be sure to follow us like this you know, um, video or this audio um, recording and um, we'll see you all soon. Thank you so much.